0: Morning everybody. It's good to be with you guys. It's good to to praise the Lord together with you. Um if you're on Facebook Live, greetings, good morning. We thank you for worshiping with us. And if you're on Zoom, uh it's good to see some of your faces. And uh I miss you guys. It's it's this is week 3 of of church via the internet through virtual uh the virtual world and 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 I hope that you guys are doing well. We're praying for you guys been a, a amazing year of, of of trusting god at least for me in my life and, and i found that in the last year man has he really been working in my prayer life and depending on him and and praying for the impossible and and praying for the things that i don't think could ever happen and it's been one of the things that i've been learning this year so as we get started this morning i'm gonna tell you a story uh It's one of the greatest sporting events that I've ever watched, at least on television. And it happened in 2018 when Tiger Woods won the Tour Championship. And as Tiger was walking up the 18th hole on his way to winning, the crowd started to surround him. Fans were running onto the fairway. Usually they have people standing there and they're blocking things off. It's roped off. And, and you, you can't get on the fairways. But in this event, on this day, it was too much. The people were pulling out their phones and they're trying to capture this moment as they're running behind him. And you could be asking why. Like, it's just a golf match. Why would people be getting so excited? And it's because of the label that Tiger Woods had. See, Tiger Woods was a golf prodigy. He was a, a child golf prodigy. His dad had basically predestined him to be a great golfer. He taught him to swing a golf club at an early age. And at the age of two, he was on the Johnny Carson show, the Tonight Show, which if you're younger and you're watching this, it's now the Jimmy Fallon show, the Tonight Show with starring Jimmy Fallon. But back in the day, it was Johnny Carson. And when Tiger Woods was two, they brought him on the show because of such an excellent golf swing that he had. He was so good that in an early age, he started winning all these tournaments and, and, and he was a phenomenon, true phenomenon. He became the youngest person ever to win the Masters and not just win the Masters, he won it in record setting fashion. Tiger Woods didn't just win events though. Tiger Woods changed the culture of golf. I mean, if you watched golf Back in the the late 80s and, and throughout the 90s, golf was a sport for white people. I mean, the majority of the good golfers out there were white and and I'm guessing affluent. And then all of a sudden, Tiger Woods comes on the scene. He starts to win. And the culture changes. People in the city started to take up and take notice of golf. Other culture groups, ethnicities started to watch golf. Urban kids like myself would turn on the golf station on Sunday to watch him golf, but not before this, not before Tiger Woods came along. But see, he was different. While he was going along and winning these matches and winning these games, people started to talk about him. And they would say, man, Tiger Woods is good. Man, Tiger Woods is great. Man, Tiger Woods might be the best golfer of our day. But it didn't stop there. See, something happened. Even the greats started to say this. They started to question Is, is, is Tiger Woods the best ever? That's what people were saying. Jack Nicholas himself calls, calls Tiger Woods one of the best. So while Tiger is playing this game, he starts to get the name of the goat. He starts to be called the greatest of all time. Think about that name, think about that label. Why did the crowd surround him on that day? Because it was the return of the GOAT. He hadn't won in years. He had some personal issues in his life. His body was breaking down on him. He had multiple back surgeries. But people thought he would never win again. But not only did he go on to win the event that we were, was shown there a second ago, but he'd go on to win more events since then, including the event that every golfer wants to win, the Masters. The label, the goat, people were coming and surrounding him because of that title. I want you to think about this title, the goat, the greatest of all time. Maybe you like something. Maybe there's something out there that you really, really enjoy. And maybe there's somebody who has that same title of being the best ever at it. That people look at them and say, ah, they're the goat or that is the goat. Who is it? Well, when we look at the football world, I don't know. I I'm you guys can comment in, in the in the in sections below, as I would love to see who you think the goat is when it comes to some of these things I'm gonna be talking about quickly here. But when it comes to football, I'm gonna guess that the majority of the people would say that Tom Brady's the GOAT. He has six rings, he's been to eight uh Super Bowls, he's a dominant person, he plays so much, he's he's the goat. And then we move on to the basketball world, and there's a little bit of debate in this, but not much of it. Andrew, as I look off to my left, is shaking his head. No, there's no debate in this, but we would say the greatest of all time in the sport of basketball, and if you're at home, you can answer this right now. Who do you think it is? Hopefully, you said Michael Jordan, because if you didn't, you'd be wrong. The goat of making America's favorite side dish, the french fry. We can debate this too, but the greatest maker of the french fry of all time is McDonald's, hands down. The goat of making pop is Coca-Cola. And we can look around and we can see the names that are given to different things about being the greatest of all time. But when it comes to the greatest of all time and taking away the sins of the world, the title changes from the goat to the Lamb of God. It's no longer the goat but it's the lamb. The title changes. Jesus Christ, he is the one who takes away the sins of the world. And today we're going to be looking at this name that John gives, John the Baptist, gives to Jesus very early in the book of John. It's one of the first names that we see given to Jesus. Think of all the names that we have for him, all the titles that he's given. And this one from the onset, the beginning of his public ministry, he's given. Lamb of God. Let's pray and then we're going to read our text and see what God has to say to us today. So let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for your words to us. May you may you help us to understand the total meaning or at least more deeply the understanding of what it means for Jesus to be the Lamb of God. May your holy spirit have its way in our hearts, minds and souls. As we're spread out from different homes, And as we're spread out throughout different parts of the country and as people are watching this, Lord, may we fall in love with your word to us. And may we depend upon and trust your word to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Our text for today is going to be John chapter 1. You can read it on the uh, screen, verse 35 to 42, or you can turn in your Bible to page 632. And you might be wondering how I know that. I don't know that I made that up. So sorry. But again, John chapter one, verse 32 or 35 to 42. And here's what it says. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. Come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus. His name was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John, and you should be called Ciphers, which means Peter. Here ends the reading of our text. In these verses before us, we see uh, in the verses before that we started reading from, a little background here, John the Baptist is out in the wilderness and he's outside of town, and he's baptizing people. People are coming out to be baptized by John, and as people are coming out to be baptized by John, the Pharisees start to notice. See, John is out in the woods, and he's calling, prepare and make way, the the way of the Lord. Come, repent. Repent of your sins. Change your ways. And people are coming out, and, and, and they're seeing John the Baptist. And this gets the Pharisees' attention. They get to the point where enough people have gone out there that they come out to them, out to John the Baptist, and they say to him, what are you doing and why are you doing it? Who are you? And John the Baptist tries to tell them who he is. And they say to him, "Well, John, are are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ himself? And he's like, no, 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 no. No, I am not. Well, are you Elijah or one of the prophets? And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm not one of the prophets. I am just one. And what he does here is, is he quotes one of the prophets. He quotes Isaiah and he says, um, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. And as a prophet, and, and he's quoting Isaiah the prophet there. And this is an important quote and we'll come back to this in a little bit. But he is the one proclaiming the coming Messiah and calling people to repent and get ready for the one who will rescue them. See, one more little tidbit about John is this. John is a preacher's son. John is is the son of Zechariah, and his dad was a priest, and and he would hear these messages. He was familiar with the Old Testament. So when he rattles off this this verse in in Isaiah, he is repeating that which he has grown up hearing. And then while he's out baptizing people by the water, he sees Jesus coming. And when he sees Jesus, he gives him a name. He gives him a title. And he sees it in our text in verse 29. He says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one whom I said, who will come after me, who comes a man who who ranks before me but he was always before me. John the Baptist labeled him. This is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. This is before Jesus changed water into wine. This is before all of the healings. This is before Jesus gave life. This is before Jesus taught on the mountainsides and and proclaimed to the masses. This is the name that he gave him from day one. This is the name that when he gives it to them, catches the attention of the people around him think about this do do you know how many times somebody labeled someone a prodigy or a great or or some label that talked about how wonderful this person was gonna be i feel like i feel like i see this all the time you'll see somebody come along they'll be like oh man that kid he he's he's gonna go pro oh that kid he's gonna be a scholar oh that person and 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 it doesn't happen. For one reason or another, it doesn't happen. And here in this situation, on day one, John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, the Lamb of God. He gives him a title. And then we get to our text where where John the Baptist sees him the day after he baptizes him. He sees Jesus a second time. And it says in verse 36 and verse 37, he says, he looked at Jesus as he walked by him. And he goes, Behold, the Lamb of God. Man, this is an attention getter. This and that day would make people stop and look. Verse 37 says, The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. This name means something. It's the reason two of John's disciples started to follow Jesus. And I want you to get this. In this moment, John is out, and he's baptizing people out in the wilderness by the river, and and people are coming to him. He gives Jesus this, this name, and two of John's own disciples leave him and they start to follow Jesus. Why would they do that? Because, see, they knew what this name meant, they knew the tradition of this name from story time at night when they sat around and talked, from their yearly calendar when they celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread, from when they celebrated the Passover. Let's go back to the Old Testament and take a look about what this is all about and why this name is so interesting. Let's go back and take a look to when a sacrifice was demanded for the sins of the people. And let's go back to a time when the Israelites were captives to the Egyptians. They hadn't been listening to God. They didn't listen to God and they found themselves as slaves and they were, were living in captivity. They were forced into labor They've got to the point where they're, they're slaves to a people group and they're, and they're growing in numbers. And the Egyptians are like, at some point, these people are going to overtake us. And the Egyptians say about the Israelites from now on, when they have babies, let's take their babies and let's throw them in the Nile. The Egyptians were killing the Israelites' babies. And it's funny because as we go through and we're looking through these texts of the Exodus and as we look through how God's about to free them uh, from, from being slaves and being captives, these people m- grumbled against the Lord. So the Lord raises up Moses and Aaron and he uses Moses and Aaron and to go and speak to Pharaoh and he talks to them about all the plagues that are going to come. And we're not going to quite go through all of these. But I'm just going to list them real quick. There was the plague of blood, where the water turned to blood. Frogs, where the frogs came out of the Nile. Gnats, livestock, boils, hail, locusts, and darkness. And as these plagues hit this this people group, this country, Egypt, Pharaoh's heart remained hard. And then we get to the place of this story where where Moses goes to Pharaoh and he tells him what God's going to do next. And he says, you're going to know who the Lord God is because he's going to come and he's going to take away all the firstborns in the land of Egypt. And Moses leaves that area and he goes and he talks to the people of Israel. And this is what he says. God is going to take all the firstborns except for ours. And it's because we're going to take a lamb. And we're going to sacrifice this lamb. And this is what it says in Exodus chapter 12. Verse 7 through 13, I'm going to read it to you. It says this. Then they should take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head and legs and its inner parts. You shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it. With your belt on, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and beast. And all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. See, God had told the Israelites that the blood of the lamb is what is going to save them. They, too, needed to be saved. This was a judgment upon the land of Egypt. There's a reason for it. There's a reason why the Israelites needed this Passover, this, this blood of the lamb around their doorpost. And it's because they, too, started to envy the gods of the Egyptians. They, too, loved them. They saw all the things that that these gods or so-called gods were providing for, for the land, and they loved it. And in their hearts, they said, man, where's our God? Man, they have so much. They looked around and saw the big buildings. They saw the power. They saw the wealth. They saw it all. And it became easy for them to trust someone other than the Lord God, Yahweh. Isn't that familiar for us? Isn't, isn't that a little bit familiar to us? That we see other people flourishing and we wonder why God is, is, is not blessing us and blessing other people? Isn't it us who, who can look with envy at the, at the ones who do wrong and want what they have? Definitely, especially when we're willing to do wrong to get something Same thing was going on with the Israelites. They needed to be saved because they fell in love with the gods of Egypt. They liked their ways. They trusted the Egyptians to provide for them. They trusted the Egyptians to protect them. They fell in love with them. And this is God calling them back. This is God calling them to trust his word to them. This is what he says to his servant Moses. Moses, tell these people to take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost. And when you do this, tell them to put their shoes on, put their jackets on, get their belts on, and be ready to go. Because when I see the the blood of the lamb, you will be saved. And when I don't see it, you won't be saved. And the people will be ready to send you on your way. And when John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God, he knew. He knew and the people around him knew what it meant. It meant he was coming to deliver people of their sins. Just like the Passover. Quickly going back to, to Exodus, I want to I talk about why they knew all this again. Exodus chapter 12, verse 24, it says, You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, why do we do this service? Why do we have this service? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt. And when he struck the Egyptians, but he spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. This was the Passover. This is what the people were used to celebrating on their calendars. That's the Passover. They celebrated each year and God delivered them from the day that God delivers them out of slavery. Jesus, in this moment, is being called the Lamb of God. But you remember how I said at the beginning, I talked about how John grew up a preacher's kid. He knew the book of Isaiah, and, and, and when he, he quoted that passage, make straight the way of the Lord, well, see, there's no doubt in my mind that John knew other passages of the book of Isaiah. And when he gives Jesus the name Lamb of God, it is because of what Isaiah says in, in chapter 53, verse 7. He says, he was led as a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. John the Baptist, from the onset of Jesus' public ministry, his baptism, looks to him to be the sacrificial lamb. John the Baptist calls Jesus this on back-to-back days, and people start to follow. Why? Because look at our text. Because they're looking for a goat. They're looking for someone to be great. And the great one is before them. He's the sacrificial lamb. They knew they needed to be rescued. They knew. And Jesus came. All the prophets are proclaiming it. And Jesus came to be our substitution. And the Jewish people were searching for this Messiah. That leads us to today, to Palm Sunday. a a few days before Jesus goes to the cross, a week before we celebrate the resurrection. And it is the same time of the year when people would be celebrating the Passover. The disciples did not know what was coming when they asked Jesus this question. But in Mark chapter 14, it says this, verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And the disciples went into the city and they did as Jesus directed them. They ate, they partook in the Lord's Supper. Jesus gave them his body and his blood. But the real answer was that the Passover was to be prepared in the hands of man on Golgotha the man who knew no sin, the man who healed many, the one who gave life, the one who taught us and showed us how to live and gave us life, the one who stepped in to creation, the one who created everything, the one who became our substitution, the Passover lamb. He would be delivered over for judgment, judgment that was reserved for you and for me, but he went quietly. He bore the judgment of Pilate. He suffered by the hands of man. He was spit on, beaten, mocked, scourged, and crucified. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. May you continue to, to reveal to us during this season all the ways that you sacrifice for us, Lord Jesus. You are the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. And Lord, I I thank you for the freedom of that. This week as as we prepare our hearts for the resurrection, as we somehow look to a day called Good Friday, which wasn't good for you, but it was great for us. May you be revealing to us all of who you are the perfect sacrifice, our atonement. In your name we pray, amen.